and school and were where most of the town's borders lived. At present, the Smith family's border is Jimmy Head, the short-order cook at the trolley car diner. The Robinsons next door have Beatrice Woods, the little blind songbird. The Watleys up the street have Miss Tuttle, the high school English teacher. But soon the Smith family will take in a new boarder who will set in action a chain of events that should eventually wind up in the pages of history books. Of course, they don't know it at the time, especially their 10-year-old son, Bobby. He is at the moment downtown standing outside the barbershop with his friend Monroe Newberry staring at the revolving red and white stripes on the electric barber's pole. The game is to stare at it until they are cross-eyed, which seem to them to be some sort of grand achievement. As far as amusements go, it is on a par with holding your breath until you pass out or dropping from a rope into the freezing swimming hole outside of town named the Blue Devil. So cold that even on a hot day, when you hit the water, the first shock jolts you to your eyeballs, stops your heart, and makes you see stars before your eyes. By the time you come out, your body is so numb you can't feel where your legs are and your lips have turned blue, hence the name. But boys, being the insane creatures they are, cannot wait to come crawling out covered with goosebumps and do it all over again. These were some of the activities that thrilled Bobby to the core. But for Bobby, life itself was exciting. And really, at that time and that place, what red-blooded American boy would not wake up every morning just jumping for joy and ready to go? He was living smack dab in the middle of the greatest country in the world. Some said the greatest country that ever was or ever would be. We had just beaten the Germans and the Japanese in a fair fight. We had saved Europe, and everyone liked us that year, even the French. Our girls were the prettiest, our boys were the handsomest, our soldiers the bravest, and our flag the most beautiful. That year, Bobby felt sorry for anyone who was not lucky enough to have been born in America. After all, we had invented everything in the world that really mattered. Hot dogs, hamburgers, roller coasters, roller skates, ice cream cones, electricity, milkshakes, the jitterbug, baseball, football, basketball, barbecue, cat pistols, hot fudge sundaes, banana splits. We had Coca-Cola, chocolate-covered peanuts, jukeboxes, Oxidol, ivory snow, oleomargarine, and the atomic bomb. Bobby's own state of Missouri had given the world Mark Twain, Walt Disney, Ginger Rogers, and the great St. Louis World's Fair. And it had been aboard the battleship Missouri. The Japanese had surrendered to General Douglas MacArthur. Not only that, Bobby's Cub Scout troop, Bob White Patrol, had personally gone all over town collecting old rubber tires, scrap paper, and aluminum pots and pans that helped win the war. And if that wasn't enough to make a boy proud, the president of the entire United States, Mr. Harry S. Truman, was a true blue dyed-in-the-wool Missourian, and St. Louis had just won the World Series. Even the trees stood a little straighter that year, or so it seemed to Bobby. He had a mother, a father, and a grandmother, and had never known anyone who had died. He and his best friend Monroe were now official blood brothers, an act so solemn that neither one spoke on the way home. His big sister, Anna Lee, was a pretty blue-eyed blonde girl and was quite popular with all the older boys who would sometimes hang around the house and play catch or throw the football with him. 
Sometimes he was able to make a quarter off the guys just to leave them alone on the front porch with Anna Lee. And in 1946, a quarter meant popcorn, candy, a movie, a cartoon, and a cereal, plus a trip to the projection booth to visit Snooky, who read Mickey Spillane books. And after the movie, he could go next door to the trolley car diner where Jimmy, their boarder, would fry him a burger if he was not too busy. Or he might stop by the drugstore on the corner and read a few of the newest comic books. His father was the pharmacist, so he was allowed to look at them for free as long as he did not wrinkle or spill any food on them. And Thelma and Bertha Ann, the girls who worked behind the soda fountain, thought he was cute and might slip him a cherry Coke or, if he was lucky, a root beer float. Downtown Elmwood Springs was only one long block, so there was never any danger of getting lost, and the year-round weather couldn't...